As was mentioned in the prayer just a moment ago, our family grew today here at Roanoke. Uh, several of us had the privilege of seeing Sam Anderson baptize their daughter Gracie into Christ, and so we're grateful to have been able to be a part of that uh, wonderful decision. I'm looking over there, but you're over here, so I'll look over here. <laughs> we're proud of you, and we're grateful uh, that you've chosen to to make this change in your life, and we're going to do all that we can to help you and support you and encourage you in your new walk. I appreciate very much the outstanding sermon uh, that uh, we were part of this morning in our worship uh, about worship. Caleb did a wonderful job uh, with that, and he and I coordinated some in our planning about this day, and so tonight's sermon is, I guess, an addendum maybe to to that sermon as we talk about another aspect of our worship. And and you changed your songs, right? Where is it? We're not going to talk about anything tonight. There we go. That was weird. <clears throat> Thank you. I, I, I had a sweat there for a moment. I thought you made a last-minute change. So anyway, here we are. We're going to talk about an aspect of worship tonight under the heading uh, that was not in the plans. Because there are a number of things that are being done in churches of Christ today throughout our land that were not in the plans. In fact, it wasn't even in the plans when those particular congregations established the work uh, that they chose to engage in. Many of the progressive churches of our day really have gotten to the point where they don't care about a plan. They, they just, they don't consult it. Uh, they don't consider anymore what God has said about our worship and practice. And so it comes down to this, really. There is either a plan or there's not. If there's not a plan, then it doesn't matter what we do. If there is a plan, then it matters greatly what we do, and we're obligated to do what the plan says uh, for us to do. <clears throat> Many churches of Christ are just catching up with practices that were started uh, by the religious denominations of our world. I remember one time Brother Curtis Cates made a statement that I had never really thought about, and it's it is so true. He said, many of our congregations are just about 10 years behind the religious denominations in the things that they do. You see, uh, the religions of the world do something. We peek over the fence and say, oh, why don't we do that too? And then within 10 years, we're engaged in the same things that those churches are doing. It either matters or it doesn't. And if it does matter, then we're obligated, brothers and sisters, to make sure that we do Bible things in Bible ways just as God has prescribed. If he's prescribed it, then he expects us to do it his way. And so tonight, what I want to do is look at several things that are popular in the religious world today that some churches of Christ in looking around, have said, 
We'd kind of like to do things that way. And rather than consulting scripture about it, they've just adopted that practice. Some of these may not, I mean, we, it's kind of like beating a dead horse, right? On some of these, we've talked about it so much and we could talk about it till we're blue in the face and people are going to do what people are going to do but it's important for us to understand why we do what we do and why we don't do what many in churches of christ have have done so here's the first one mechanical instruments of music were not in the plans the plans that god gave regarding worship did not include Mechanical instruments of music. Caleb alluded to this this morning. We'll cover some of the same ground, but we'll, uh, we'll take it also in a different direction and notice some other things. The passages that we typically turn to and consider, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 and 19, and do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. This passage authorizes singing. It doesn't authorize playing. It doesn't authorize mechanical instruments. God, through inspiration, has given us what we needed to know about the music in our worship assemblies. It is singing. And if that weren't clear enough, it's speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs singing and making melody in our hearts to the Lord. He's given us the action. He's given us the instrument. He's given us the purpose for why we do this the way that he has prescribed. That's what the plan says. You add to that Colossians chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. Uh, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and modishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So here we're to let the word of, God, word of Christ dwell in us richly. And that indwelling word leads us to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And we sing and we make the melody in our hearts to the Lord. If God wanted us to use mechanical instruments, He would have told us to do that. We have Old Testament passages that where David and others have incorporated musical instruments in their practice and engagement, but the New Testament is silent on this. And so it is evident that that's not what God wants us to do in our worship. Think about another passage here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, where Paul is trying to clean up a mess the church at Corinth has made with the use of tongues and spiritual gifts, he says, after addressing that matter, what is the conclusion? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will also sing with the understanding. Singing with understanding applies when we're using intelligible language that people can understand in our songs. It's not about understanding the notes on an instrument that has no spiritual value or significance at all. The notes on a keyboard don't edify and strengthen us in the Lord. They entertain, 
Uh, they might incite emotional responses, but as far as edification, teaching, instruction, and training, they do none uh, of that. And so they're not part of our worship, and they haven't been until churches started looking around to see what other people were doing. In an article in Christianity Today, and let me point out, this is not a Church of Christ publication. This is a a religious publication unaffiliated with, with Churches of Christ. There was an article in there that was addressing the question of when the use of mechanical instruments started. Let me just show you some of the excerpts from this. Though we know the early Christians sang during worship, they probably used no instruments. Nearly all of the backgrounds from which early Christians came, Jewish, Greek, Roman, Egyptian, and more, had instrumental traditions, but these traditions carried negative associations. Most church fathers saw the use of instruments in Jewish worship as a childish weakness, less glorifying to God than words of praise. In pagan worship, instrumental music uh, and debauchery were often linked together. And then it says, a few Western churches, such as the Churches of Christ, still eschew the use of instruments of worship, in worship. These churches tend to employ, notice this, primitive arguments because there's nothing in the New Testament about instruments and because the early church almost certainly did not use instruments, we shouldn't either. Churches that do use instruments tend to find support in the Old Testament and to argue that while the New Testament says nothing positive about instruments, it says nothing negative either. <clears throat> and so here's basically what this article is saying. It's no evidence that the New Testament church used instrumental music. And while many religious groups have gone the way of using mechanical instruments of music, there are some, churches of Christ in particular, who hold to a primitive argument. I would just say swap that language out with who hold to the plan. Because the plan is the primitive document that says how worship is to be constructed or built. It's called primitive in a negative connotation, but that language doesn't bother me at all. If the church has been around 2,000 years, then we want to make sure it's the one that was built according to the plan. And so here we are with language in an article from people who are not members of the church who have admitted that there's no there were no instruments to begin with, and those instruments have come along much later than when the church was established. In fact, it was not until the 10th or 12th century that mechanical instruments were, were introduced. And so <clears throat> churches of Christ eschewing uh, and employing primitive arguments, well, that's because there's nothing in the New Testament about instrumental music. And we're to go with what we're authorized to do by the Bible. Can you imagine if we operated under the assumption that anything the Bible didn't say we were okay to do? 
We, we could do whatever the Bible didn't explicitly forbid because that's, that's the contrast between the two groups, the groups who say the plan doesn't include instruments, therefore we're not going to use them, and those who say, well, the plan doesn't say anything positive about them, but that doesn't mean they shouldn't be included. Well, we could do anything in worship. And as we'll see a little bit later, that's exactly what many uh, have done. It doesn't say not to, but how many builders approach building a project or a building that they're paid to construct with that attitude? Well, the plants didn't say anything about this, so I'm just going to include this. They, you, they wouldn't get away with that, and we're not going to get away with that in sight of God if we build our worship that way. Mechanical instruments of music were not in the plan. Now here's the second one. Women leading in worship was not in the plan. The New Testament is clear regarding leadership in the church. And let's just notice a few passages here. First Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. I desire therefore that the men pray everywhere lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting, in like manner also that the women, see the contrast between men and women, that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair, gold or pearls, or costly clothing, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. All right, there's a contrast here. Let's keep going. Verse 11, let the women learn in silence with all submission, and I do not permit a woman to teach, or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence in this regard. For Adam was first formed, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell in, the trans, fell in transgression. All right, let's jump a chapter over to chapter 3, and notice in the qualifications of elders and deacons. Verse 1 says, if a man, man, if a man desires the office of a bishop, he desires a good work. Verse 2 says he's to be the husband of one wife. Notice the specificity of this. The elders are the men. They're to be husbands of women, the wives. Verse 8, when it gets to talking about deacons, likewise deacons, all right? Verse 11, likewise their wives must be. And then verse 12, let the deacons be the husbands of one wife. There, there's, there is no unisex language in this passage where it says let the individual who's qualified be the elder or the deacon but they need to have a marriage partner or a mate so if it's a woman that qualifies then she needs to have a husband that's not the language of scripture the language of scripture says the one in the leadership position is to be the man and to qualify for these positions in particular they need to be the husbands of of one wife. So the New Testament is clear regarding male versus female roles in leadership uh, in the church. Uh, the order in the church is associated with uh, the role of women. Notice this in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 34 and 35. Let your women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak. Again, notice the chapter, chapter 14, clearing up Problems in this congregation where they're abusing spiritual gifts, they're not doing things for the purpose of edifying, and there's great confusion. And so in that, Paul says, let your women learn and si uh, keep silent in the churches, 
for they're not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive, as the law also says. And if they want to learn something, and I'll, we'll talk about this phrase, learn something, in just a second. Let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is shameful for women to speak uh, in church. And so that, you know, that uh, brings up all kinds of questions, right? Well, they can't say anything. Well, what about singing? Singing is saying something. Well, I want to point out something here with that phrase, learn something. That, as is the case with most Greek words that are brought over, and, and is the case with English words as well, quite frankly, there are multiple meanings to a word. And the context has to be considered to determine or understand what the application of the word is in that context. This same phrase, this same word learn is the one used in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 8. Talking about Jesus where the Hebrews writer says, though he were a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Now that word can mean learned as in I passed on knowledge to you, so you learned or you passed on knowledge to me, I learned from you. But it can also have reference to experiential knowledge. Learning through doing, learning through experiencing it. Here's the definition out of uh, the uh, uh, Greek to English lexicon of the New Testament and other early Christian writers that's known as BDAG. And the definition of the word there says to come to realization with implication of taking place less through instruction than through experience or practice. And so some things we learn through experience or practice. Well, I would suggest in our understanding of this word that that's likely what Paul is saying here. It, it, it's not, her knowledge doesn't come through experiencing and practicing these things in a leadership role in the church. The wife is to be submissive to her husband and he, he is the one who exercises authority over her, and she doesn't move outside of that authority framework and function in an experiential way uh, in the church. Now, <laughs> that is crazy language in our society today. To, to suggest that there is a place and a position that men can occupy that women can't, it's just that would be viewed as crazy in our world today. And quite frankly, people who were pressed on this would say that God must be a sexist because he prefers men over women. But the point I'm trying to make is there is tremendous pressure today from society to, to blur these lines and to break down these standards and these details in the plan that God has given. <clears throat> this is an article out of Abilene, uh, Abilene, Texas, regarding the Highland Church of Christ there. And I, I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to highlight the behavior of any particular group of people. These people don't answer to me. They answer to God. But I want you to see that what we're talking about is, is not imagination. That the, these are things 
that churches are doing because they're bowing to the pressure of society. And so this particular congregation, this is a, there's an article right up in the, this newspaper in the city, Abilene Reporter, and it says, a moment, momentous, the start of momentum, the preacher of this particular congregation says, he said, on the eve of Women's History Month, history was made February 19th at Ireland when new elders were ordained, six of them women. And so here's a congregation wearing the name Churches of Christ or Church of Christ that has bowed to the pressure that is against those who would stick to the plan bow to the pressure of society and culture to say it's wrong to stereotype, it's wrong to draw distinction between the roles that men and women can fulfill in the church. And so churches are doing this very thing demonstrated in this article. Now, if it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter. right? If God doesn't care what we do, then it doesn't matter. But if there is a plan, God expects us to follow the plan. And if God tells us how he wants leadership structured and organized in the church, then brothers and sisters, we're obligated to follow that exactly as God has prescribed. Many churches have bowed the need about the bell of popular culture in this regard, and we, not need, we need not fall under the pressure to do the same. If women serving in leadership roles is not in the plan, it's not in the plan. And we shouldn't try to substitute it or to make God's word say something that it doesn't say. <clears throat> you know, one, one congregation in trying to find a way to get women involved in the worship service actually on the Lord's table put the men and their wives together at the Lord's table to suggest, well, they're still under the authority of their, their husbands in fulfilling that role. Why not just do what the plan says? If God's told us how to do it, why not just do what he's told us to do? And so here's another problem. Here's the third one. Separate services in order to facilitate division was not in the plans. And what I'm getting at here is the pressure in society today that has infiltrated the church to abandon traditionalism. It's unrelenting to try to move away from, for instance, a cappella singing in worship and just having worship singing that involves us singing with our voices without mechanical instruments of music. And so some churches, what do they do? Well, they'll set up two different times. We'll have a traditional service, say at 9 o'clock, and we'll have a contemporary worship at 10 o'clock. And so you've got half the congregation, maybe, that goes to the first service because they think the contemporary worship is wrong. You've got the other half or more of the congregation going to the contemporary service because they think the traditional is outdated and useless and doesn't serve any spiritual purpose. And so what you have is a divided church. 
You have a church that has divided themselves over differences on how they're going to worship God. And so some have moved, I guess, to outsmart God by finding a way to do both. We'll just do both. We'll have the traditional service for those who, you know, have a conscience problem, they'll say, with, with the contemporary worship, and then we'll appease the masses that want to have contemporary worship. And this, listen, is a direct violation of the plan. And let me show you a few passages that demonstrate that. First Corinthians chapter, uh, that should be 1 in verse 10. Paul says, now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Why wouldn't that include how we're going to worship God? Why wouldn't being of the same mind and the same judgment about how we worship God be included in that? It would certainly be included in that. And so what is Paul saying? Here, of course, he's talking about them dividing themselves after the individual who had baptized them. But the principle of it is just the same. There's division that's taking place because the church is not perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. And when you have congregations that say, well, we're just going to have two services. We'll have a traditional and we'll have a contemporary one. That's because they're not perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Here's some other passages. Romans chapter 15, verses 5 and 6. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Jesus Christ, that you may be, that you may, look, with one mind and one mouth glorify God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, what we're going to do, since we can't agree on how we worship God some of us believe in the plan some of us don't believe in the plan we're going to glorify God with two minds and two mouths but that's not what the plan says it says with one mind and one mouth in perfect agreement according to what the scripture says Romans 16 17 now I urge you brethren note those who cause divisions and offenses Contrary to the doctrine you have learned and avoid them. In some of these churches, they've actually run off, ran off, run off, kicked out through their decisions, Christians who were opposed to the contemporary worship practices. And so, just go. This is what we're going to do here now, and we're really not concerned about you. That's not in the plan. Our, our whole worship environment and our singing in particular is for edification, for building up and strengthening it. Yet many congregations have created an environment that does just the opposite. It divides and destroys the faith and harmony of Christians. And Paul said, when there are those who cause divisions and offenses, we're to avoid them. Not just set up a separate worship service so that we can all be of the same church, but of two minds and two judgments it's not part of the plan philippians chapter 1 verse 27 only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of christ so that whether i come and see you or am absent i may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit 
with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. And that's just simply not the case in the congregations that are dividing their body because some want to follow the plan and some don't really care about the plan. I wonder what it would be like to interview the people at Corinth who were affected by the problems with the Lord's Supper, where the religious group there was dividing and some had were having their meal while others didn't have. And there was a division in their practice. I wonder what, what they would say about the practices that are taking place that divide today. I think about 1 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, verses 17 and 18, where Paul addressed their division, where they weren't concerned about one another. Notice what he says, and think about it in light of what we're talking about. Now, in giving these instructions, I do not praise you, since you come together not for the better, but for the worse. Is it for the better or for the worse that a congregation is so uh, disharmonious that they can't even worship together because they don't agree on how they should worship? Are they coming together for the better or for the worse? For first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And in part, I believe it. Which service would Jesus go to? And how conflicted would he be when he came to visit that church? And is that really the situation we would want to put the Lord in where we're so divided in our opinion and our understanding of the plan that that we create division among ourselves to the disregard of those who don't want to go in that direction? And I say all that to say that's what's happening in these religious groups. And so we need to know this so we don't do it. So that this is never something that we entertain. Here's the next one. I think I passed it. I need to take this clicker away from me. The last one, let me just put this picture back up here. I'm dangerous with this thing. Number four, not in the plan. Worship that makes man the audience. Caleb mentioned this this morning. Let's just notice a few more things about it. That makes man the audience. You remember Caleb said God is the audience. And we are participants in that. And I would go one step further and say, Caleb would agree, we're also beneficiaries. By allowing God to be the audience, we are participants and beneficiaries of what we're doing. But we're not. We're not the audience. Dan Chambers in his book Showtime says that more and more churches are reshaping their public services to include show business elements like this. Uh, This is a picture of a church of Christ. But it's about performance. And the audience is out in front. Not up. We've forgotten that God is the audience. And that when we keep him as the center of what we're doing in worship, we benefit 
from that. Some are bored to tears. It's in some settings, they're just absolutely bored to tears with traditional worship because I don't get anything out of it. And as Caleb said so well this morning, that's not the primary goal for us to get something out of it. We go to concerts, we go to ball games, we go to movies because we pay and we expect to get something out of it. But this is a completely different setting and a completely different mindset. We come here to give to God, and we benefit from doing that. Some people look at the church today as another opportunity to be entertained. And so the leadership in these locations is adapting the environment for that purpose, to entertain, to engage people to draw them in. But, but that's not the environment of our God. I think about Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, when Isaiah was allowed to look into the throne room of God, to peer in and to see what it was actually like in the presence of God. He said, In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw also the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphim, each had six wings. Two, they, they flew. Two, they covered their face. They, they, these seraphim were above and around the throne of God, singing holy, holy, holy to God. And notice he said in their song, they said the whole earth is full of his glory. His train filled the temple. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. The smoke representing the praise from the altar that was given to God. The incense, if you will, that burned. Filled the temple and that represented praise for God. That's what it's supposed to be like. When people come into the presence of God, when they assemble around his throne in his throne room to worship him, he's the audience. And we give him what he has asked of us, yea, commanded of us. Worship, homage, praise. And when we do that, we benefit from it. There are some things today that are very popular in the religious world. Things that we in the Lord's church are being pressured to adapt and to include in what we do. But it's just not in the plans. And our leadership and the preachers here have to decide whether we believe that there's, there's a plan or there's not. And if there is a plan, then we are obligated to follow it. And I'm grateful that that's the mindset of our leadership. And I'm not ashamed, and I know Caleb's not ashamed, to respect the fact that there is a plan that is to be followed. And I would encourage all of us to have confidence that God has prescribed for us what our worship should include and what it should look like. And anything 
that's not in his plan, we should reject it. May God help us to have the courage to do just that. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, you need to obey the gospel. And when you do, you're given the opportunity and privilege to worship God. But you have to worship him according to his plan so that he is honored and glorified through it and we can be the beneficiaries in participation of that worship. And so that's one of the great privileges that Gracie has come to know and enjoy through her obedience to the gospel and that you have come to know and enjoy. But maybe there's one here tonight that's not a Christian that hasn't obeyed the gospel and hasn't become a child of God and hasn't come into a relationship with God where you have the very privilege of worship that is pleasing to God. We want to help you change that. We'll study with you. We'll help you to see what God expects of you in order to be his child and we'll help you become a child of God, a Christian, a member of the Lord's church built on the plan that Jesus gave when he promised to build his church. If that's your need tonight, we hope that you will take care of that need. If we can help you with any other need, we hope you'll come as we stand and sing. Thank you for listening to this recorded audio of a sermon that was preached at the Roanoke Church of Christ. If you would like to visit us, you can do so at 608 Dallas Drive, Roanoke, Texas, 76262, or you can visit our website at roanokechurchofchrist.org. We hope to see you soon, and may God bless you.